is being due. It's the third win against the top ten, and the Orange had them all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. A three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! As the Orange do it again, the cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. A couple of guests lined up for you today. One in the first hour, one in the second hour. We're going to talk with Brian Higgins here in about 15 minutes from now. We know Brian well, jack of all trades up at Syracuse University, women's basketball, uh, men's basketball, sideline reporter, pre and post game show host uh, for football. Uh, we'll talk with him uh, coming up again in about 15 minutes. A lot to get to with him. Doubleheader tomorrow inside the dome for basketball, and then the football team playing a very important game against Wake Forest on Saturday. Then at 1.30, as we do at 1.30 every Thursday, we'll bring on uh, our good friend Chris Gedney to delve deeper into that visit from Wake Forest. Again, your phone calls welcome at any time for ESPN 44. So we'll spend a lot of today, Seth, talking SU basketball, SU football. I want to begin, though, with your Giants. What is do we going have to? On? What is going on with your team? Uh, a lot. A lot is going on, and none of it is particularly good. Uh, they're really bad. Their coach is really bad. Uh, their offensive line is really bad. Their defense is really bad. Their quarterback is really bad. Uh, they're playing three practice squad receivers on regular season games. It's not good. So the latest news, in case uh, some of you at home uh, missed this, uh, yesterday ESPN released uh, an article from Josina Anderson on ESPN.com in which she cites two uh, anonymous players on the team saying, among other things, that Ben McAdoo has lost the team, essentially saying they hate playing for him. That he practices the team too hard on Saturdays, right? And they're they're burned out going into Sundays. Nobody respects him. They've he's lost the locker room. He's lost the team. Nobody wants to play for him. They've given up on the season. And then some of the veterans who did put their name to their words uh, came forth and and defended their head coach Landon Collins among them. Um, well, to be Justin fair, Pugh among them who stepped fair, forward nope. and said that, that those r- reports are false. That Nobody's going to say on the record, though, that they hate their coach. No, but they could stay silent. Certainly not in the locker room, they're not. They could stay silent. They could they just could. Let, it, let it just hang there. And and so some guys stepped forward and said, no, he hasn't lost the team. We're still playing hard. We respect him. My question to you is this, Seth, and you follow this team. Obviously, you're a fan of the Giants. You you follow them week in and week out as close as anybody does. What's more likely to happen? That Ben McAdoo is fired before the end of the season? You don't normally see a lot of head coaching moves during the season. Is it more likely that he's fired during the season, or is it more likely that he's the head coach in 2018? I think it's more likely he's the coach next year. I think he's going to get fired. I do, but not during the season. There, there, I, I think there's almost no chance that he gets fired during the season. Uh, if you look at the history of the Mara family, the history of the, the Giants' ownership, uh, they don't do that, right? And, and that's one of the reasons I'm a little worried. They don't fire general managers, and they don't fire coaches in season. So do and, you think 
not to cut you off, yeah, but yeah, I want to yeah. follow up on that. Do you think the decision is made? One and say, or do you think there's something that could save his job? I, I mean, what short can? of running the table. I, but even if he does run the table, like what's that get you? Well, let me play devil's advocate here. Okay, this is year two under Ben McAdoo sure. as the head coach. They went four straight seasons without making it to the playoffs. Year one under Ben McAdoo, they win eleven games and they they got to the playoffs. They they lost in the wild card round. They got to the playoffs. Year two has not gone well, but he can point to well, offensive line's been shaky. Look at, you know, our weapons have been taken away from us on offense. Our best player uh, has gone down with a season-ending injury. We're playing without our three top receivers. Um, and it's only year two. Could he, he make a case slash could ownership make a case to bring him back? Or do you I don't think, think so. Do you think the decisions think are and, – and so if you think the decision has already made been made, why has it been made? Do you buy into – They've given up on him. The team doesn't like him. The team doesn't play for him. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that he just doesn't reach the team. Like I, I think that it's just not working. Uh, it, it just is not working out. Um, his, his message is falling flat. I, I think that he doesn't handle things well uh, in New York, particularly. Um, you know, I, th- I think that that has to go into it. I think that that has to be considered. Um, you're not, you know, not to say that the media in other places is friendly, uh, but you're in New York and you've got to be able to handle the media and you've got to be able to handle the media a lot better than he does. Um, you know, you can't be bashing your players, uh, your future Hall of Fame quarterback uh, in the media and airing that dirty laundry. Um, I, I think that there, there are just certain things that he does that don't work. And I think that they've got to move on because realistically I think that they've got to move on with their GM right like I, I that's that's where my thought is right that's where my first thought is they've got to move on from their general manager and when they move on from their general manager the the next guy probably is going to want a new head coach and Ben McAdoo has done nothing to make uh, a, a new GM think Oh, I should keep him around, right? Like he just hasn't. Well, again, year one, he he ended a four year playoff drought, and they won eleven games. And but this, but he, you can point to in year two. I mean, it's been a disaster, but he could say my, my receivers are taken away from me. Eli Manning has no one to throw to, and he's not getting any time. You can't protect him. We have no running game. I mean, it's a it's a disaster across the board. But at least he has reasons why it is. So you say he hasn't done anything, and and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Because it, it has been a disaster. But can't he point to last year and say, listen, when we're healthy and I, I'm allowed to do my thing, this is what we are. This year there were some things out of our control. It went south. It went south in a hurry. You know, let's let's regroup and, and run it back in year three. I mean, you could. Um, you can, But you're not buying it. I'm not. No, I, I'm not buying that. I, I think that, you know, even... I, I, don't, I don't think they did enough. Like last year, even, even last year, the offense... Uh, wasn't very good, right? Like the and and he's an offensive player, right? Like he he is an offensive player uh, guy. He he he's supposed to come in and 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 revolutionize the offense. And it was better when he was the offensive coordinator. It was too much responsibility last year. That defense was going to get better last year because they signed Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins and Damon Harrison and Jason Pierre-Paul was playing a full season now after his injury. So that defense was going to get better no matter what happened. It didn't matter who was coaching them. It didn't matter you know who the head coach of that team was. That defense was getting better. 
I don't put that on Ben McAdoo. He certainly had nothing to do with it. Uh, and the offense was worse than it was the previous year. And the offense w- uh, w- was what came up flat in that playoff game. Sure, the defense allowed 30 points, uh, 38 points, but the the offense only scored 13. And when you look at the final, what, six games of the year, they didn't score more than 20 points, and that carried over to this season. So I, I can't say that Ben McAdoo has done enough for me to warrant keeping him around. Sure, he made a playoff appearance. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, that defense was going to be good enough, no matter who the head coach was, that, he, that you should have made the playoffs, right? Like that offense was that offense had the pieces and that defense was good enough that you should have made the playoffs. They did. And look, they they didn't benefit from uh you know, the 11 and 5 record quite like you might think they would have in the past because Dallas went 13 and 3, but at the same time, you went 11 and 5, you had a you had a perfectly fine year and you made the playoffs. I, I don't think that would preclude you from firing him this year. So You've got Ben McAdoo, who's under contract for two more years. You've got Eli Manning, who is under contract for two more years. It begs the question to you, Seth, if you think McAdoo is out after the year, those two guys are tied together. Eli Manning was a big advocate of Ben McAdoo when he was hired to be the head coach. So they're they're tied together. If McAdoo is out, your thoughts on Eli Manning. Is he the starting quarterback for 2018 for the New York Giants? I think he probably is. I think he probably is at least to start the year, right? Like I, I think that he, he probably starts the year, gets a little bit of a leash. They probably draft a quarterback again, uh, especially given that you're at the top of the draft. And if you were not at least looking at them, which the reports are this week that they are, uh, you wouldn't be doing your due diligence. As you said yesterday, you're in a totally different draft range and you didn't expect to be in. And now all of a sudden you're in a top three pick. You have to look at a quarterback when you're picking top three, right? Like you, you just have to. Um, you know, the, the Colts, when Peyton Manning went out, decided, you know what, rather than getting a quarterback and being decent, we're going to be really bad, get a quarterback and cut Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, if, if you can cut Peyton Manning, you can cut anybody. Uh, so I, I think that the Giants will do their due diligence, probably take a quarterback. Maybe you want that quarterback to learn from Eli Manning for a year, play with him for a half a season, and, and Eli plays the Kurt Warner role that he played you know, to, to his younger Eli Manning. That, that happened 15 years ago, and maybe that's how you let next season play out. Um, but I think it's much, much more likely that Eli Manning is on the roster next year wearing a Giants uniform than it is Ben McAdoo is wearing a Giants hoodie on the sideline. So you point to McAdoo. Like, McAdoo is the reason why the offense has struggled. Like, yeah, at the I, end of last year, obviously this year you can throw the injuries into yeah. it, but that wasn't the case last year. So the end of last no, year, th- it's, it's McAdoo last, for you. I think that last year it was, yes, I, I think that it's McAdoo. I think he had too much on his plate last year, and I think that you saw that. Like, he thought that he could keep being the offensive coordinator and the play caller when he had other things to do, and he couldn't. And, and he couldn't, and, and that's why he had to give it up this year. He finally gave up play calling. Uh, the offense, I mean, look, it had to get better from what it was, right? Because it was one of the worst in the league. It's gotten a little bit better, but like, I, I think that it has allowed him to focus on other parts of the team and other decision-making. Uh, I think it was too late. I, I really do. I think it just came a little bit too late, um, and I don't think he's helping himself uh, with how he presents himself to the media and, and what he says. And I, I read something this morning uh, from the New York Post that I thought was really interesting where uh, basically he comes out and he opens up a binder and he's just reading scripted stuff every week at his press conference. Uh, and it's just all kind of uh, this, these platitudes and 
hey, we had a great practice. You know, we're we're doing some good stuff. Where you know, uh, it, it's like uh, it's like the college football coach who doesn't know anything about well, the team they're playing, yeah, right. and he's like, uh, Les you know, Miles. yeah. Well, well, how about this though? This, <laughs> they this were great is a law quote. school. This is a quote from from uh, from the article uh, of what McAdoo said this week. He goes, uh, Robinson, a Shanahan favorite at the receiver spot. He. He averages uh, 18.3 yards per catch in his career. Bethard's going to make his fourth start out of Iowa with Garoppolo waiting in the wings. Right? Like, that sounds like a guy who's just, like, up there, like, oh. He's reading the game notes. Right. He's reading yeah. the game notes of the 49ers. Like, like what, what's the point of this to the New York media? It's you know? funny you, you said, you know, it's like a college coach, you know, dot, dot, dot. Because as you were talking there about McAdoo and the way he presents himself to the media, I thought back to, it kind of reminds me in a way of, of Scott Schaefer and how things turned south between him and the media toward the end of his tenure. And not that that's the reason he got fired, but it certainly doesn't help, right? When you've got... When you're interacting with the media, they're writing things, they're saying things on the radio, they're saying things on TV, whatever it may be. Um, there is a certain amount of pressure that's put on the school or the franchise in this case. Um, and so, again, could you make a case for Ben McAdoo to come back? I think I laid out you know, some reasons why. You did a great job laying out all the reasons why you don't bring him back. Yeah. And if the media is on board with don't bring him back and the fans are on board with don't bring him back, there is a certain amount of pressure that even if the team, you know, even if the front office did want to bring him back for some reason, I don't think you can. There's, there's a certain amount of pressure where they, they may have to say, you know, for the for the sake of season tickets and, and everything that goes with it, um, yeah, you know, we're, we got we have to make a change. Yeah. And I will say, I think McAdoo was doomed from the start. I, I really do. And, and I, I said this at the time, and I, I will say it now. Um, uh, you know, almost two years ago, I think Ben McAdoo was doomed from the start. They they just elevated him. They kept all the other coaches in place. Uh, they they booted a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I think that when you look at that, they didn't really make a change, right? Like they just didn't want Tom Coughlin to coach that team anymore. They didn't really want to make a change, but they didn't want Coughlin running the show. So they said, okay, what can we do? Well, we just brought in Ben McAdoo. Uh, if we don't hire him, the Eagles will. Well, let's just elevate him to head coach. And so they did. And they kept the they kept the quarterbacks coach. They made him the offensive coordinator. They kept the defensive coach. They kept all the you know all the assistants in place. It, it was the same coaching staff. It was the same team. Um, and, and to me, it, it just didn't make sense that they wouldn't start over two years ago when they had the chance. They could have blown it up and started over, and they should have. And they should have fired Jerry Reese when they got rid of Tom Coughlin. And the Giants didn't take advantage, and so they were doomed from the start. Last year was great, and they went 11-5, and and they made made the playoffs, and that was awesome, but it was a Band-Aid. I do wonder if his age plays against him to some degree as well in the way that he tries to to manage this team and coach this team. Because if you're if you're a hard disciplinarian, it's one thing if you're 70 years old and you're Tom Coughlin and you've you've built up that equity over the course of your career. Even if, even if guys don't like it, they respect you. The fact That's that he's with in Coughlin. his late 30s, though, you know, you're you're telling guys what you're finding guys. You're 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 being hard with guys who are what you know. Four or five years younger than you. That, Eli it's, Manning is three years younger than him. You think he's listening that's to it? That's a tough you think sell. He cares? And, and the, he's got a great relationship with him. But I'm saying some of these other guys that if right. you if you find a guy for being late again, it's one thing if you're Coughlin and you're old school. It's another thing if you're like four years older than than the guy that you're you know that you're talking to. So I do wonder if the way that he's gone about it and the fact that he's so young, if that's you know played against him uh, as well. Yeah, and, and, you know, and hurt his cause wh- when when Coughlin took over. The, the person he had to sway was Michael Strahan. And, 
you know, they they butted heads. <laughs> they they butted heads right from the start. And Strahan didn't like that the clocks were all messed up and he kept showing up late for meetings and, and whatever it might have been. Uh, but eventually he won him over, right? And and it was because he had the respect, because he built up a resume in Jacksonville, uh, and, and because he had done such good things with the Jaguars franchise to get him off the ground. Like he had some kind of a respect level for Coughlin, and it eventually got there. And then, by the way, once you win over Michael Strahan, you sure as heck better win over the, the rest of the team, right? Right, because the rest of the team's got to follow, follow Strahan. And I, I don't know, like you said, that McAdoo had that respect level where, hey, even if we're button heads, like, okay, I get it. Like, you're a good coach. Look at what yeah, you did. Right. What have you done? Like, right. you're, you know, we're the same age, dude. Like, you know, what, right. what have you? Why are you fining me? So I, I think that's that's worked against him. You know, right? Um, but it's 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 fascinating. We'll see how this whole thing plays out. We do need to take a timeout. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Brian Higgins joins us on the other side. Keep it here. Orange Nation rolls out right after this. Hummel's Office Plus and Dunn Tire are proud supporters of Syracuse football coverage on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. WTLA North Syracuse, WSGO Oswego, W249BC Mattydale, W261AC Oswego, WTKWHD2 Bridgeport, ESPN Radio. Hour number two of Orange Station underway on ESPN Radio. Phone lines open for the next half hour at 315-437-7644. Our good friend Chris Gedney set to join us at 1.30 as we'll talk some football with Ged. Syracuse Wake Forest inside the Dome on Saturday. But uh, right now I want to talk some basketball, Seth. The uh, regular season opener inside the Dome. Tomorrow night Cornell comes to town. Obviously the the headline is going to be Jimmy Bayheim going up against uh, his dad. Uh, but this is the first game that actually counts uh, for the new look orange. And, and we know all the question marks coming into the year. And we know the projections Syracuse picked to finish 10th in the ACC conference, lowest uh, projected finish in conference play since Syracuse joined the the Big East Conference uh, back in 1979. Uh, We saw what CBS thinks about this team. They've got them in the 70s with the comment being this team's going to struggle to get into the NIT. So we know what's being said about them nationally. We know what's being said about them within the conference. Um, and, And I know there are a lot of question marks as well, but my question to you, Seth, is when you look at this team and if this team is going to exceed those expectations and reach the goal of making the NCAA tournament and finishing in the upper half of the ACC conference, what is the biggest key in your mind to the season? Finding a secondary offensive player. That might sound oversimplified. That might sound uh, very easy, uh, but you need to find that second guy, right? You know, Ty's is gonna, you know, Ty's battle is gonna be the leader. You know, he's gonna be the guy on offense. Um, who's gonna be that second person consistently? Is it O'Shea Brissett? Is it Frank Howard? 
Um, is it somebody else? Is it somehow Matthew Moyer? Uh, I, I don't know. Are Frank Howard and, Ty- and, and O'Shea Brissett able to play uh, to the level that you need them to play, right? Because uh, O'Shea Brissett, of course, a freshman, and Frank Howard uh, you know, hasn't truly given us an indication through two years that he can do that um, you know, at, at this college level. So um, I, I think that's got to be the question, right? Who's going to be that next guy? Because we've seen in two exhibition games, the offense gets off to slow starts. They struggle in the half court. Um, they need somebody else to be able to make plays. And, and I know Brian Higgins said it earlier, um, especially when you get into ACC games and when the comp- the competition steps up a little bit, um, Tyus Battle is going to be at the top of the, the scouting reports, and he probably will be all season long. But once you step into better competition, there'll be guys who can stop him, right? Like, like there'll be guys who can match up with him and guard him. Um, he's not the matchup nightmare that that Tyler Lydon was, that Atorian Thompson was. Uh, he's a six foot six guard, and that's not to take away from that uh, from what he can do. But there are other six foot six guards out there, and there are other people who can guard a six foot six guard. So I think that uh, when competition steps up, he'll, he he might struggle to adjust off the top, and they're gonna need somebody else. And I don't know who that's gonna be yet. I think I'm going to slightly disagree with the last part of what you said. I was on board with most of that. I don't think you're going to find many guys who are going to be able to stop Tyus Battle. I think he, I think he's that good. I no, mean, he is he an scores, NBA player. But if he scores 15 in the ACC play instead of 20, that's a big difference. Yes, but that's not stopping him. I mean, that's, no, but but those five I, I, points will be the difference in in how many wins. Fair enough. I, I think he's going to have. A phenomenal year. I, I, I think Tyus Battle is that good. I've said this to you on the show. I think he's better equipped to hand the, handle the extra attention than Tyler Lydon was. Number one, from a, a mental approach, obviously Tyler Lydon was reluctant to take a lot of shots, and the coaches pleaded with him to take more <laughs> shots, and he just he just did he just not didn't. do it. Yeah. He's an unselfish player. Again, it's, it's not a knock against him. It was just a fact with Tyler Lydon is that he did not shoot as much as he probably should have or, or slash you know, as much as the coaches wanted him uh, to, to shoot. Secondly, just from a physical aspect and, and the way that they play the game, I think Tyus is a more complete player. And yes, Tyler Lydon had the size and was a matchup nightmare in a lot of instances against whoever was he was going up against. Uh, but Battle has it all. I mean, Battle can shoot. Battle has the mid-range game. Battle can get to the rim. He's strong. He's athletic. He's learning how to, to change speeds. Um, I, I think he's the complete package. So I'm not sure how many defenders are going to stop him. I think he's going to have a, a fantastic year. He didn't shoot the ball all that well in the second exhibition game, and he finished with 20 points. Yep. Um, so I, I think he's going to score, and I think he's going to score a lot. I also feel like... O'Shea Brissett is, is going to be the second leading scorer on this team. And I've only seen him three times. I saw him in the scrimmage. I saw him in the two exhibition games. I think this kid's the real deal. I think he's going to have a freshman year, much like Tyus Battle did a year ago, I where agree with that, yeah. he's going to be, you know, up and down, which is expected out of true freshmen. And I think it's going to click for him. We saw it click last year for Tyus. Um, he had the big game against Virginia. Then he got sick right after that. Still hit the game winner against Clemson, which was the very next game after that twenty-three point performance against Virginia. Then he went into a little bit of a lull while he was, you know, battling the flu for a couple of weeks. And then he closed out the year, the final month of the season. He scored in double figures every single game. He averaged seventeen and a half points per game great. over the course of the final seven. I think O'Shea Brissett's going to have much, uh, you know, a very similar year in that you know he'll be up and down as all freshmen are. I think he's going to be consistent, though, as the season progresses. For me, when I look at the key to this season and who the who the key player is, 
I feel like Battle is a given that he's going to score a lot, and I think you agree yep, with that. Totally I agree. I, I feel confident that Brissett is the real deal, and he's going to be probably the second-leading scorer on this team. For me, the key to the season is Frank Howard. And we saw a year ago that he was very good early on. When they played better competition, he, he wasn't nearly as good. We found out after the season that he was battling the sports hernia and was was injured much of the season, which we we were not aware of. Obviously, he was aware of it. The coaches were aware of it. You look at his stats, though, over the course of the season, his assist-to-turnover ratio was was better than 2-1 to one as a whole. In the losses, it was essentially 1-1. to one. Right. It was about 2.5 assists to 2 turnovers. And I think his decision-making... It has to be better. I think it's gotten better. And just the, the maturity of being a junior, the fact he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at, at John Gillen anymore, the fact that he's presumably healthy with the sports hernia surgery out of the way and dealt with it all summer, but he's back now. I think he's the key to the season. I think if Frank Howard is good and consistent, sure, I think they can exceed expectations and get to the tournament and, and accomplish all the goals they want to accomplish. If he is up and down, or you know, you had suggested the other day that you know, if he loses the job, if if we're talking about a you know a battle at the point I'm guard really position, I'm really into doomsday hypotheticals. No, aren't I know I? Yeah, you are, <laughs> but if that hypothetical comes true and there's even a question of who the starting point guard is, then you're in trouble. I think this team's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and look, um, I think that you could have legitimately. I think we could have given three or four answers there, right? We we go O'Shea Brissett slash that second score, right? I'll, I'll put those two together. Um, uh, you could go Frank Howard. Um, I, I think that you could argue it's that center position. Um, and, and how is that going to hold up defensively? Are those two in Barama Sidibe and uh, Pascal Chukwu, are they going to be able to stay out of foul trouble enough that you don't have to use a third option? And are they going to be good enough? Are they going to be able to hold up? And, and then I think that you could just make an argument that it's, uh, you know, like a, a Matthew Moyer type. Right, like the guy who's got to do the the dirty work, the guy who's got to go and just rebound for you and get you eight to ten rebounds a game, um, you know, and play good defense because, uh, you know that that is as good in some regards as scoring ten points. Right, if you save ten points, that's as good as scoring ten points. Um, and, and I think that you can make the argument uh, for that as well, or or uh, that it's you know Geno Thorpe coming off the bench uh, to spell somebody. Uh, in that backcourt, um, you know, I, I think that there are like three or four different ways that you could have gone with this. Um, but ultimately, I do think it'll come down to secondarily because I, I think we know what Ty's battle is going to be. I think it's going to come down to, as I said earlier, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard. I mean, they, they those three battle Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett are going to be the three primary ball handlers, right? I, I mean, it's it's the one, two, three on your team. They're going to have the ball in the hands in their hands more than anybody else on this team combined. Um, and I think that they've got to be good. They've got to play well. They've got to put the ball in the bucket. They can't be turning the ball over for every assist that they have. Um, and they've got to really grab hold of this team. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Pat in Syracuse wants to talk some SU basketball. Hey, Pat, how are you? Yeah, good. A uh, couple things. Who was your three that you just said? I said Frank. I said uh, Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, No Shape Brissett. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think um, Bayheim and the, the staff brought in Thorpe for a reason. I, I obviously know we we got to wait a couple weeks to get him probably back in into the speed of the game. He hasn't been practicing a lot with with the guys, and uh, he wasn't a hundred percent the other night. But if everybody is 
talking about this team is going to live and die with Frank Howard. I, I just think they don't get it. Like, Frank Howard is never going to be the point guard we need him to be. He can still shoot. He's shooting a lot better. His defense is solid. His He doesn't have it upstairs to, to be that point guard that we need. In fact, I think he's a better player than Howard Washington, but on this team, for what we need, with the way Brissett, I think, is going to bring a skill set that we haven't seen from a freshman. I mean, his skill set is far superior to Leiden or McCullough, and it's not even close. And I got in a, a discussion with somebody about this. I, I don't know if people really understand what the term skill means, but this guy's got skills. I mean, he's got better body control than Leiden. He's a better dribbler. Leiden was probably a better passer. I mean, it's so early, I get it. But for, for me, Brissett has blown me away. And, I mean, I, I mean, look, I remember when Hakeem Wolf was a freshman, and you saw glimpses. But this guy, this guy, I mean, who would you take as a freshman, Warwick or Brissett? It's not even close. Brissett is far superior to where Warwick was. It's not even I, – I, I just think that Thorpe is going to be – I think Thorpe's going to be the guy with the ball in his hand. I, I mean, if it's Howard, I, I think we're in big, big trouble. I mean, he had three turnovers in that last exhibition game. That if if he was in ninth grade, he would have got benched. I mean, it was that bad. It's like, are you playing for the other team? Because you're not seeing what anybody else that's watching the game is seeing. So, but I don't want to dog Frank. His defense is good, and his shot is a lot better. His shot is significantly better. Um, he's getting it off quicker. He's got a higher release. He's got better arc, better rotation. His shot is definitely better. But you're not just going to all of a sudden see the game the way that we need to see it. I. Listen, listen, Pat. I, uh, yeah. I, uh, I agree with you on a lot of things. I, I, don't, I don't agree with you on this. If, if there is a question, like ten games in, who the point guard is, this team is in a lot of trouble. If it, if it's I, I not, agree. if it's not Frank Howard, it, this team is in a lot of trouble. I think it's Thorpe. I mean, you guys, if you remember what Coach said. He brought in Thorpe for a reason. He's a fifth. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, I, it's, I get it. But we saw last year that that is not an ideal solution. Let, 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 let me put it to you this way. I mean, Thorpe, if we just saw what he did last game, we, we would be in big trouble. But we know he's going to be significantly better. And, I mean, he went up against, you know, SMU, one of the best defensive teams last year, held his own. He played five or six games you know, against, you know, top-level defensive teams, and, and he did fine. I mean, he's not he's not a high-level ACC point guard, but he, he's far superior to Frank Howard. I mean, I they're not even in the same stratosphere in, in terms of, Playmaking ability. Well, if that if that's I, the case, Pat, then this team's in trouble. I'm telling I'm telling you that right so. now. I, I don't I, think so at yeah. all. And, and here's why: if if John Gillen can almost get us to the tournament with no defense, and he can't see over the, when he's on offense, he couldn't see to make a play, and we almost made the tournament, and our defense was atrocious. That team had a lot hang. more options on offense than this team yeah, but does. The defense, yeah, I mean, everybody knows that, Steve. Come on. I mean, you, you just said that John Gillen had that team on the verge of the NCAA tournament. These, te- these teams are completely different. Yeah, they're different. But what I'm saying to you is if John Gillen was on the team this year, he, he'd be playing behind Uno Thorpe. That's my point. Well, he'd, I, be, he'd be he'd be playing behind him, and I, I don't know how I don't know how you can say that. We haven't even seen because him play. It's the zone. How, it's the zone. <laughs> okay. Behind this. His zone needs a six three, six four guy with long arms that's 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 quick and that's and that's what Thorpe is. So what I'm saying It's also what is, Frank Howard is. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> And and that, that's fine, Pat. Like if the, if that's what you firmly believe, I'm I'm just telling you from from where I sit, if I, if if Frank Howard is not good this year, and I, and Syracuse has one point you, guard, what, what is good to you? 
uh, assist to turnover ratio of two and a half to one or better um, be. can contribute, uh, you know, 10 points, can He's run 10 the eight, team. 10 and 8. I mean, uh, eight assists? Yeah. yeah, you would sign up for eight assists. I'm not expecting oh him to God, average eight assists. assists. Yeah, right. I, I'm not expecting him to average eight assists. But he, he needs to be able to run the team and, and, and be good. And I think we're going to see a lot of three-guard this year, so I, I'm not saying that Thorpe isn't important. Thorpe is obviously very important. And if he's the guy for you in terms of who's most important, that's fine. I, this isn't about Geno Thorpe for me. This is about if, if Frank Howard is the player that he was last year, this team is in trouble, even if it's just a depth standpoint, right? Because right. You, you were going to rely on— with that with Howard Washington. I, I don't know how you could say that. We didn't have him last year. So What's you're, the difference? You're saying that Howard Washington is the answer if Frank Howard no, is no, not no. good. What, what, I, what I'm saying is in terms of depth, like you just said, I, I, I think if Frank was off this team, which I'm glad he's not, because I, I, I think he had the injury last year. He obviously, you know, like, like you guys said it best, you know, he was worried about Gillen and the whole nine, and just the, the whole thing was a mess. And I think that's all straightened out, but at the end of the day, Frank is still Frank. I mean, he is. He's he's not. They tried to make him a point guard. He's not as athletic as Benajay to make that transition. Where, where Benajay, he just Benajay just he was a more unselfish player and and he was more of a team guy. I mean, Frank Howard tried to play hero ball in an exhibition. I mean, he did it like for five minutes where he was just trying to score every time. It's like, what are you doing? I don't Let, know. Pat, I, Pat, I Pat, Pat, Pat. We we gotta way. go, Pat. We gotta go because we're up against the break and we gotta bring Gedney on here in in, in ten minutes or so. Let me just simplify it. If you get the Frank Howard that played the second half of that second exhibition game, I think this team can you exceed take, expectations. Yeah. If he is not good, if he you just said same old Frank, if he is the player from last year, this team is in trouble. It, it just it is just end of story. If nothing more than you're you're going to have because one last option on player? offense. He's like the fourth or fifth best player on the team. You need a I don't point know how guard we to say run that the show. With certainty after not seeing most of the guys on this team. We saw last year how important a point guard is, right? And John Gillen did enough to, you know, in Pat's words, almost get them to the NCAA tournament. Now, they had a lot more scoring on that team than they do on this team. They need Frank Howard to be good. They need Geno Thorpe to be good. They need O'Shea Brissett to be good. They need Tyus Battle to be good. If Frank Howard is the player he was last year, this team is in trouble. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Hey, we got to take a time out. We're back after this. Orange Nation, noon to 2. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m.